Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right. That was a good word, Courtney. Good job. All right. Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys have fun, some fun activities planned um, or just relaxing. So uh, we're going to get dove into a brand new series on Romans. Um, really our heart behind this and, and not only our church, but actually our church in Lawrence and our church in Manhattan, we're all kind of doing this series together for the next uh, seven weeks. And so you'll be hearing from a bunch of different people throughout this series. I'm really excited for you to experience that. Um, But today is just kind of a little bit of a setup, and we're going to dive into just chapter one. Um, And uh, so, yeah, our our heart is just that um, you would have a crisp awareness as to what the gospel is, and that as we look at the culture of Rome and see what Paul says to this culture, that in many ways is a lot like ours. And we can see, we're going to look at what Paul says about this gospel, this good news, that Jesus is king of the entire world. And um, so, a little background. Uh, Whenever you're, uh, if everybody could grab a Bible or your phone and open up to Romans 1, we'll just get started there. Um, But just uh, a point of... um, Interest here, you know, this is a letter. So this was, this was a letter to, from a particular person to a particular people in a particular place and time. Um, and so it's, it's really important to kind of just say that up front. Like, we, we just, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome in about 58, 59 AD. And so Peter, the, uh, the disciple Peter, if you've ever... Uh, familiar with Jesus' story, there's, uh, uh, he raised up some disciples in one of the most um, kind of bold and courageous, but yet the most knuckleheadedest uh, disciple that he had, this Peter. Um, when Jesus raised from the dead, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets a bunch of boldness on him, and uh, he gets some persecution in Jerusalem, and he goes off from Jerusalem, and he goes to Rome. This is about maybe 15 years before, or 20 years before this letter was written in and so he was the one that established the church in Rome. Paul hadn't even, up to this point, hadn't even visited Rome. And so we're going to see he's got a big kind of intro because uh, there, he, he has some friends in Rome that he met in Corinth, but um, he is quite unfamiliar with this church. And so the first two decades, the church in Rome consisted mainly of Jewish believers. Uh, but then in 49 AD, Claudius, who was the emperor at the time, expels all the Jews from Rome. Okay, we're kind of setting this up so you can kind of see what Paul's going to get at. Okay, so in 49, uh, Rome expels all the Jews, including all the Jewish believers. They left Rome. They were commanded to leave Rome. And eight years later go by. Eight years later, and uh, the, uh, the emperor at the time Uh, allows Jews to come back into the city quietly. But when they came back to the church that they were a part of eight years prior, the whole church looked different. It wasn't, they were the majority at the time, and then 
as you could probably imagine, after they left, Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, assumed positions of leadership. And for eight years, they were kind of leading in the way, the expression that was on them. But then these Jewish believers come in and they go, wait, 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 there's something, there's something different happening here. To also note is that the tone in Rome was there was a tremendous bias against the Jewish against Jewish people. The pagan Romans didn't care for the Jews. They sneered at them and distrusted them. And so you've got this kind of atmosphere of these Jewish believers were kicked out, they come back in to a new church, but also this culture is very hostile to who they are. And so um, Paul had his work cut out for him. <laughs> he really did. He, Paul writes this, his most epic letter, laying out in very fine detail what the gospel is, that Jesus, this gospel is not just for a select few who were trying to keep God's salvation to themselves by clinging to the law as their badge of national privilege. But Paul is saying that this gospel actually is for everyone, not just a few. And that this gospel, Jesus came to bring reconciliation not between just man and God, but with man with each other to bring real reconciliation in between people. And so imagine this. You're in ancient Rome. It's, Rome is founded on what's called the, the seven hills. And so you're surrounded by hills with the Tigris River running right through it, and all the wealthy people live up in the hills. All the poor underclass live down by the river. Not like you know, Chris Farley. <laughs> wow. All right. They weren't in a van. But, uh, but Nero was emperor when Paul is writing this letter. And the poor people live, like I said, in the areas around the Tiber River, which runs through Rome, not at least the area across the river from the main city center. And this is where most of the first Roman Christians lived. And there was chance that the first time this great letter was read was a crowded room in someone's house in the low-lying poor district just across the river from the seat of power to the entire known world. Best estimates were there were at least merely about 100 Christians in a city of a million. And so Paul launches in, just to give you a heads up, Paul comes in a little hot, Okay? He is. In this first chapter, he comes in, he doesn't dance, he has a little intro, and then, which we're going to get into, uh, he's going to jump right into it. So God's going to ruffle some feathers, I hope you're ready. Might not be, it's Labor Day weekend, didn't expect this kind of message, but we're going to get it. We're going to get in it. So, Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of King Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Rome, like I said, is the 
epicenter of the known world, and it was home to the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, whose common colloquial term was used as son of God, and who claimed the allegiance and loyalty of the greatest empire the world had ever seen. But Paul knows what he's doing, and he comes right at the start proclaiming, actually Jesus is the rightful Lord of the entire world. And it's vital that the Christians in Rome know this and live by it. It's really essential because if the church in Rome gives in to any kind of cultural pressure of diminishing the gospel, that he knew that the, that the, that the risk or the cost is that we would export a lesser than gospel. And so Paul is really laying this out and we're going we're to get all in it in the next seven weeks. This good news that Paul announces as a good news about something that has happened. Events through which the world is now different. It's about what God has done in Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's true King and the world's true Lord. He desires to see people not only believe and agree with it, but out of, OG, out of the realization that if Jesus truly is the King of the world, it should be reflected in me serving that God or rightful king in a way that transforms my life and those around me. And so he kind of lays out these kind of few themes that he's going to dive in as this good news. It's all about the good news of Jesus. It's good news for everyone. So he has this extended intro because he hasn't visited them before and he's sharing his heart. Man, I want to be with you. I want to be encouraged. I want to encourage you and be encouraged by you. And so he kind of launches out to a nice little intro, and then in verse 16, he pivots a little bit. For he says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Meaning the, the word of God came to the Jews first, but then also to the Gentiles, but they are on equal footing. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight and is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, the righteous shall live by faith. Wow, powerful statement. This is, a, this is a powerful statement that not only anchors this first chapter, but it also anchors this entire letter to the church in Rome. And we're going to come back to this at the end, because we can't really appreciate the answer until we've really wrestled with the problem. You remember your, grade, your math book in grade school? You know, you, you ever remember that? Where the odd answers were always in the back? Come on now. You got to re, re, regurgitate those memories every once in a while and say like, man, I've come a long way. Uh, but that math book, man, I loved when teachers assigned the odd problems on math. I'm just like, boom, don't even need to wrestle with it. Throw down the answer. Uh, I hated it and, uh, uh, when the teacher's like, but I got to see your work. It's like, my work was I looked in the back of the book and wrote the answer down. A little, I've relied, read a little commentary, but I know that's the right answer. But in the same way, you know, a lot of times I think that we kind of know the solution. But sometimes I, f I think that we fail to see the extent of the problem. So we're going to, and this is where Paul kind of dives right into next. So put your seatbelts on. This is where he starts firing it up. Romans 1, verse 18. But God shows his wrath from heaven 
against all sinful and wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his individual, his inv- invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You ever get out in nature? You're like, man, I just feel connected. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Human beings were always designed to be central to God's plan of ruling over his creation, and that's part of what it means to be made in God's image. You are made in God's image. Everyone is made in God's image. So instead of knowing God and imaging or reflecting God, the one that they've been made to reflect, people in Paul's day, and for much of human history up to that point, had pushed away God and began worshiping creation or things made from creation. And Paul says they became futile in their thinking, and they were darkened in their understanding, and they were foolish. Whenever I read this uh, part of Scripture, I grew up in Colorado, as many of you know, and, and so camping and skiing and just being out in nature would just, uh, I'd do that all the time. And, and so I'd go, I went off to KU, and my, I, was a, I, became a, I was a biology major. And so I remember my first class uh, in biology, and it's the weed-out class. You know, it's that freshman level, 101, really hard class just to kind of like weed everybody out. And I remember my f- professor coming down, uh, out, of, out of his little hovel, whatever it was. Anyway, so he comes out with this, with this Darwin mug, with a little Darwin fish, you know. And uh, he sets his mug right down on the center of his table. And uh, he says, if you believe in God, you believe in a myth, and I'm here to teach you fact. So I was like, oh, okay, hey, <laughs> weed out class it is. Um, but I, I, I loved it. I, 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 loved, uh, I loved getting in, the, uh, getting beyond the veil with regards to like science and evolution and the, and the shortcomings of the scientific method that they can't, they can't make any judgment on anything supernatural. They can only judge the natural world, but yet we somehow through time have bridged the uh, a natural explanation and made it supernatural. And so this passage always gets me thinking. Thomas Huxley, a contemporary of Darwin, was an evangelist for evolution. And he was was an agnostic. Actually, he was the one that coined that term, agnostic, first. And his grandsons, Julian and Aldous Huxley, this is a crazy family. Julian Huxley was known for uh, uh, evolutionary biology and eugenics. If you're ever familiar with eugenics, Eugenics is the thought of is if there's anybody that doesn't help society progress, they need to be thrown on the trash heap. And Julian, or Aldous, his brother, was actually the author of Brave New World. You ever read that book growing up? Brave New World. And Aldous Huxley freely admitted what the theory of evolution allowed him to do. For he says, quote, My, for myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness which 
the theory of evolution undergirded, that there is no creator God, there is no divine purpose, there's no meaning, and therefore this philosophy of meaninglessness emerged. It was essentially an instrument of liberation, he said. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality, Judeo-Christian. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Nothing to do with science. Everything to do with rationalizing their own sexual appetite. And it's so interesting. Did you know recently that some of the top biologists and scientists are throwing Darwin's theory out the window? Now, certain portions of it. Now, there was... There, to, to, so I could go on like this for a, for a while, but basically there's two kind of camps when it comes to evolution. There's mac, microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution, Darwin did an amazing job documenting that. Man, different size of beaks on Galapagos and, and all this. There's different variations within species. Obviously, there's different variations between us. And so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's microevolution happening, yes. But macroevolution, the cro crossing from species to species, um, there's really not much evidence for that. Leading paleontologist J.Y. Chin, Dr. Chin, as, the, as he's known out on the street, uh, who was on the forefront. <laughs> um, hope he wasn't extra fluffy, then it'd be Dr. Double Chin. Anyway, um, who was, sorry, dad joke, dad joke on that. Um, Okay, leading paleontologist. I'm glad you're laughing because it's going to get a little more serious. Anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Chin, um, he was on the forefront. Let me get to this. Come on. Uh, on the forefront of this discovery was lecturing in the United States on their finding that turns Darwin's tree upside down. Basically, the theory that all life forms originate from one source. One of the professors, basically during the Cambrian period, so we'll get into this. Basically, in the Cambrian period, so as they, as they kind of measure the strata of, um, of in ge in geology, um, there's this period that they call the Cambrian period, and all of a sudden, in the Cambrian period, they find all this brand new genetic material out of nowhere. They can't explain it. And it wasn't just, you know, like amoeba. It was like, it had highly complex information in this genetic material packed into it. And one scientist, I heard a commentary just last week, he says that, that is an instantaneous sign that it required a, a designer and an intelligent source to create that genetic material. So anyway, so one of the professors at the University of Washington, as he's giving this theory or giving this lecture, Dr. Chin giving this lecture in the States, this is in 1984, by the way. This is 35 years ago. Dr. Chin, this, this one professor says, Dr. Chin, fascinating lecture. But aren't you a little nervous expecting, expressing skepticism about Darwin, Darwinian evolution coming as you do from a communist country? Suddenly there was an awkward silence that came, came over the room. But Professor Chin, with a wry little smile on his face, said, in our country... We can question Darwin, just not the government. In the United States, you can question the government, just not Darwin. Have we, 
exchange truth for a lie. So back to the letter. People who have pushed truth away and embraced futile thinking, the result is, Paul puts it, God's wrath. Now that doesn't mean God is a malevolent or prone to childish fits kind of God. God is kind, he's patient, he's forgiving. But he cares passionately about his world and mankind and if that there are types of activity that deface, damage, and destroy the world and human beings, God will not let that go. God hates it all. He's angry about it. And if he weren't, he wouldn't be a good God. And so what follows, as Paul lays this out, is they exchange truth of God for a lie. They push the truth away. What follows is the natural result of when that happens. When we push the truth of God away, there's a natural result. And we're going to dive in. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up, in the lust, or gave them over to the lusts of their heart. Now, just real quick, what would that look like? If you or a person was to say yes to every lust urge in their life, where, what pathway would that lead you down? What choices would you begin making? How would you, how would you look at people? You wouldn't look as people, at people as made in God's image. You would look to people as objects, things to be used, tools for your own advancement. And it goes into a lot of other areas that Paul gets into here. It says, Therefore God gave them up into the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. If you were to allow, I mean, that would be expected to a certain extent. Paul is saying that when people exchange the truth of God for a lie, God... God's created order in human life itself becomes distorted away from the Creator's intention. Paul assumes that there is a created order. It is not random, nor is it arbitrary. Throughout this passage, Paul has one particular biblical passage in mind. It's Genesis 1 through 3, from the very beginning. That this has nothing to do with following a law but Paul is appealing even further back from Moses. Humans are, com are commanded to be fruitful and they're to celebrate their male plus female complementarity, the abundant life generating capacity of God's good world. Males and females are made very different, but yet our society tries to give us a myth that says otherwise, and they are designed to work together to make with God the music of creation the music of creation, that God has this, des de this design, this order by which He brings heaven to earth. And when He gives us over into our lusts, it becomes, when we start pursuing that, what we'll find out is that the, we become less human. We become diminished humans. 
When we, when we orient our whole life around one area of our life, our sexuality, when that gets elevated as an idol, and I need to serve that idol, I need to satisfy that idol, you become less human, homosexual or heterosexual. Even though there were high levels of homosexual behavior all throughout Rome, even Caesar Nero himself had a companion that many in the city thought was his husband. So it's not like this, it's not like today, what we're experiencing today is anything brand new. There's nothing new under the sun, but as N.T. Wright, uh, Bible common, uh, commentator and Bible scholar, one of the leading uh, in the world, Paul, he says this, Paul is illuminating the fact that such clear distortions of the Creator's male plus female intention indicates that the human race as a whole is guilty of a character-twisting idolatry. This out-of-jointness is the result of God allowing people to follow their lust wherever it leads once they have lost their grip on God's truth and God's way. And this term Paul uses, God gave them up or abandoned them, is connected to the fact that the choices that we make, not only as individuals but as a species, are choices whose consequences, surprisingly, God allows us to experience. He allows us to experience these things. He will warn us. He will give us opportunity to repent and change course. But if we choose to worship our lusts, we must expect our humanness, piece by piece, to dissolve. In my own life, pursuing my own lusts of, you know, partying, the result, I became numb Wanted sex, the result, insecure, hurt, and bitter. <laughs> or how about just with the issues of life and my anger taking over and destroying what may have taken months or years to build? When we give ourselves over to these lusts and passions, it takes us down a road that we never thought that we would be on. But get this now, when you worship the God whose image in which you were made, you reflect that image more brightly and become more fully and truly human. Free, living in the abundant life that Jesus came to provide, building and creating with God a world around you that reflects heaven. Wow. Come on. But when you worship something less than the living God, happiness, it's a big one today. Power, money, sex or sexuality, success, independence. You diminish that image-bearingness and you become less human. You get more out of joint. And it leads to a whole bunch of human-destroying behavior. As we'll see, verse 28, And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God... They aban he abandoned them, here's this phrase again, to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. Now, I think most parents understand this, that, man, if you let your kid just do whatever they wanted to do, have you not seen some of that behavior in your own home? Anyway, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. 
was a big one in that culture. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do such things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. Man, all these things mar humanity. They tear it down. And whether you made the list or not, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. That's like a straight-up list. Like, man, I know, a, I know a person like that. You know, it's like, I know a guy. But the crazy thing is, is that the alarming fact is that sometimes I see the person like that not out in the street, but in the mirror. And here's the fact. The line between good and evil runs not between us and them, but right down the middle of each of us. So God's like, all right, do it your own way. What happens is that human thinking, not just human behavior, begins to deconstruct altogether. Evil is what you get when the mind is twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. And it compounds when, these, when those people encourage others to go down the same dark, bent out of shape, twisted path. But thank God, Paul was bold in his proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is the king of the world and he came to set people free from the debilitating power of darkness to rescue them out of that power and bringing them into God's wonderful kingdom, adopted into his family, to be given not only a calling on your life, that, that image that you were made, you begin imaging not only your, not just yourself, but you begin imaging the God who made you. Romans, going back to Paul's little key verse here, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving every, or everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. It is accomplished from start to finish by faith, as the scriptures say, the righteous shall live by faith, or it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul does not need to be ashamed of it because it is God's power to save and rescue people. And the gospel does this by unveiling God's age-old plan to put the world and human beings to rights through Jesus, who's the rightful world's king. One of the most explosive things from Paul's gospel, rooted as it was in the Jewish scriptures, is that it broke down the wall of hostility between Jews and the rest of the world. And he, and he brought them together through his gospel to say, this gospel isn't just for one group of people, the us and not the thems. It is for everyone. And this salvation is for everyone who believes. And this word salvation, is, as Paul, and we'll, he'll, he'll mention it time and time and time again through this letter, he makes it clear that it's not only in the future, this salvation, though that's where the full glory of it is seen, but that this salvation reaches back into our present to where he, Paul would tell his people that he's writing to, you have been rescued, you are being rescued, and you will be rescued. That this salvation is not just this for future by and by, it is a current thing to walk in. And lastly, it says it's accomplished from start to finish by faith. 
The righteous will live by faith. That word faith, last thing here and then we'll land. This word faith, what's that? Faith is not the opposite of sight. Faith is the opposite of doubt. It's having a settled conviction that God raised Jesus and that He is the world's rightful Lord and King. This conviction is the first thing that happens when the gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit hits a human heart. I see Jesus. He is the Lord of the whole world. And I need Him. And with it goes God's promise, which is one of the main themes of the letter, that those who believe the gospel are declared to be right with God with immediate effect. Now. And so as we pray, this is a little intro. We'll get in a little bit more uh, as we go along. But as we kind of look at Paul's little introduction, that God is putting the world to rights by making people right first. We have to ask ourselves, man, are you right with God today? Are you right with God today? Or if you are, are there areas in your life in which have yet to be yielded to Him? You know, as we, as we follow Jesus, this is, part, this is where growth comes in. Because we don't, you know, when we get right with God, it's not like the game's over. That's like the front door has just been opened into a brand new existence, a brand new world for you to explore. And it's like, man, that's the front entry. That's like, oh man, I'm still in the entryway. But as we grow, it's like God will illuminate certain things. Man, you're still holding on to that. Hey, you're still thinking like this. And it's like, oh man, yeah, I am. And it's like, God, open my eyes to see what I don't see. Open my eyes to the issues of my heart that I'm holding on because I don't know why. I was told this my whole life. And God's just saying, hey, let go. Trust me with it. I got better things for you than you could imagine for yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for the power of your word. That, Lord, we thank you for Paul's boldness as he just shares in the midst of Rome that was so chaotic. God, that was so out of order. So out of your order, God. Father, I pray that these words of Paul's and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, would change us and transform us. God, if there's anyone here, God, that we're just like, God, I'm, I'm not walking with you at all. God, I pray if, if, if that's you, that you would just declare to God from your heart, God, I give you my whole life. I give you my heart. I give you my thinking. God, I give you everything that I am because, God, I see that Jesus is the rightful Lord and he came to die for my sin, to set me free from the debilitating effects of death on my life. And God, I give you that life. Take it. Put it in your hands, God. I want to learn what it means to follow you the rest of my days. And God, we may be here, God. We may have said that at one point in our life. We're like, man, me and Jesus, we're tight. But life happened. Disappointment happened. Missed expectations and you find yourself on a road that you never wanted to be on, God is saying, give me your hand, son. Give me your hand, daughter. I got you. I want to deliver you from anything that brings death into your life, and I want to bring life and life abundantly. 
Hand that to me. Give it to him. Father, we thank you for the power of your almighty word that transforms our life and ushers us into a life that we've never even dreamed of, being your ambassadors, being your image makers in the world. God, we thank you. Lord, open up our eyes through this series to see what you see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.